Hello, everyone. Thanks for coming outside for today. Today, we are going all the way out to the West Coast, to the great state of California. We're talking with Kyle Reynolds, who is out there doing some amazing archery and bow hunting work, still getting new into the sport, which is fantastic to hear, fantastic to see. And if you, as always, want to be just like Kyle, jump it on to the podcast. Whether you're a veteran, whether you're a rookie, please send me an email at averagejackarchery at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at Average Jack Archery. And of course, you can always leave a comment on YouTube. But Kyle, welcome from the great state of California. Thank you for being on the podcast, bud. Hey, thanks for having me. It's, it's, truly, it's truly a pleasure. It's truly an honor to meet other normal dudes from across the country, different time zones, different species. And I really appreciate you representing the state of California. I have to ask, we'll have to start off the podcast. What is your current bow setup so all the average Joes in the world could know? You know, your poundage, your draw length, that sort of stuff. You want to dive into your arrow build, you're welcome to, uh, just so we all kind of have a basis of where you're starting. And also, since a lot of my listeners are not from the West Coast, what is your main species that you're chasing out there in California? Well, right now, um, I'm, I'm still working on my first bow. Um, it's a Diamond Infinite Edge. Uh, my draw length, I think it's about... 29 and a half, 30 inches, somewhere in that neighborhood. I can't remember for sure. Uh, pulling about 55, 60 pounds. My sight is a True Glow five pin. Um, nothing special. My arrow setups are the Easton Axis uh, 340s, the five millimeter um, with uh, the Trophy Taker shrink wrap fletchings with the blazer veins on them kind of depending on what i'm going for i'm shooting either the nap kill zones with the cut on contact tips or the g5 strikers oh that they they are they are probably one of the best replaceable blade three blade broadheads that are made out there well first of all g5 makes prime bows mm -hmm. and uh and quest bow i mean they just make really high machine stuff and those strikers are laser sharp out of the package uh, those are really good three blade and they have that nice cut on contact tip to them too, just like their bigger brother, which is the Montec. No, that's a really good setup. And this is, I'm glad that you go over your setup and, and people are willing to do that because what you have is not a flagship thousand dollar bow and all these hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of accessories. But do you go out in your backyard and still hit your target just fine? Yeah, of course you do. Cause you're a grown up and you can shoot a bow. Like this is what I keep trying to tell people People, you know, because people watch videos and they, well, heck, they watch me and they, they see me shooting, you know, a thousand dollar bow or my target bow is, you know, it's like a twelve, thirteen hundred dollar bow. And they're like, do I need that? Do I need to save up money to shoot like that? I'm like, no, you don't. You can go out and get a diamond. You can go out and get a bear or a PSC and shoot that. And still, I mean, you're, you're enjoying the sport. If you weren't enjoying the sport, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be on the podcast. Right. So, and uh, I have to ask about those Easton axes. Those things have to hit like freight trains. They seem to, um, you know, I, I, I did end up shooting a squirrel with one and it, the thud was amazing. Just wait till you, wait till you <laughs> smack a big game animal. <laughs> and speaking of which, you told me before the podcast, but there in your part of California, what is the big game species that you're predominantly after? Although you did say there's two you can, you can chase. Um, typically, you know, your typical over-the-counter big game uh, mule deer, blacktail um, are your, your deer species, uh, black bear, uh, wild hogs, 
Um, but uh, typically I just, I stick with the black bear and the, the mule deer there. How does the, cause I have to ask out of my own curiosity more than anything, because when everybody thinks of California, they think of like Ted Nugent's run in with bear baiting and all that nonsense a few years ago. They think of um, issues in, in, in terms of using weapons and selling the state. But as you described to me, the, the hunting opportunity is quite mm-hmm. large. And so uh, for my own curiosity, what is a uh, for a resident? What is the, the tag sales, the license sales there? If you wanted to hunt what you just described, a black bear, uh, let's say the, the muley or blacktail. And then, you know, you said you shot a squirrel. Like, what would that run an average resident in California? Uh, the resident license right now is about $51 for the year. Um, and we're allowed up to two deer tags. Um, the first one is like $33, $35, bucks, something like that. Um, your second one is about $41. Okay. Bear tag is about $49. Okay. So your general license just to have the right to hunt is about 50 bucks. Right. And that just, and does that give you any like small game privilege or anything like that? Or is that just the right to hunt in California? That'll, that'll give you small game, um, squirrels, rabbits, coyotes. Okay. Um, I'm sure there's probably a couple more in there. Uh, sure, and, then, sure. and then for all the, you know, your, your normal big game, you got your individual tags for. I see. Okay. That's interesting. Cause in Pennsylvania, your general license, um, although it's a lot cheaper, I imagine your hunter density isn't huge out your way. Like the number of bow hunters that you run into. Probably not bow hunters. There's, there's quite a few hunters around. Um, there's, there's one zone around here that's pretty infamous for being pretty overcrowded. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Um, but anyhow, yeah, what I, what I was saying with the, uh, with the licenses here in PA, it's, it's like 20 bucks, like $21. And that gives you just your buck tag. That's it. Uh, that doesn't, uh, you know, that doesn't give you any extra privileges. If you want to hunt with a bow, you have to buy the bow privilege. If you want to buy uh, the opportunity to hunt with a muzzle loader, you have to buy the muzzle loader privilege, but it doesn't give you any extra tags, right? We can't, we get one, we're a one buck state. Um, and we have antler restrictions out here. Um, uh, and our, and our antlerless tags or doe licenses, you have to pay for each one. And it's a first come first serve basis. So they have multiple rounds. So we don't have, uh, we have some somewhat of a target rich environment, but you're really limited on the number of targets you can start going after it in a year. Um, but it sounds like in California, although the, the prices might be a little obviously higher than they are here on the East Coast, it sounds like you like that's not a, those aren't lottery tickets, right? You just you buy it right then and there. You have it. There's there's a few that are on a draw system uh, for preference points. Um, I, there's I mean there's quite a few, but there's there's also quite a few over the counter that you can get. Uh, okay. You know. Is that because it's a management unit issue or a species issue? I think it's more of a management issue um, because the way that they determine there, there's like two, there's three separate tiers for a tag. There's unrestricted, there's restricted, and then uh, premier or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it's called, but it all depends on how quickly a, a specific zone sells out. 
so if, if this this particular over the counter zone sells out before like June 12th or something like that, then next year it goes to restricted status. And I'm not quite sure what that means. Okay. If it continues on that, then it goes to that that top tier and where it, it's actually a, a draw. It becomes a lottery. Right. Okay. Okay. That's interesting because uh, I guess I guess how many or I guess I should ask first, how many management units are there in California if you kind of ballparked off your head? Like is it more than fifty? No. Okay. Um, I would say I'd say there's probably probably fifteen. Okay. Okay. Or so. I mean the entire the entire west side of the state, the almost the entire north to south along the coastal range is one giant zone. Sure. Uh, sure. Um, and then down south, they have some that are specific muzzleloader zones. Um, they have some specific, well, specific lottery zones. And then some of those zones are broken up between general and archery. Um, oh, okay. So, you know, this one specific zone, you have to draw it either as an archery tag or a general tag. And it, okay. if you draw, draw it with that archery tag, Obviously, you can use your archery equipment. If you draw it in the general, um, then you can use a gun or bow or whatever you want. So this is actually a perfect segue already because my head is already spinning trying to understand it. So this is this is a perfect segue into into the first thing about getting into bow hunting, in particular your situation, right? You know, you're not a teenager. You know, you're not a kid. You're not having someone hold your hand, if you will. You have to you have to cut your own path here and it and in a state where it you know depending on your management and zones it could be a little confusing to try to figure out which tag which location is it a lottery is it restricted so on and so forth so let's segue into that this challenge uh for new bow hunters and let's start with this um getting familiar with your management unit and that sort of stuff do you feel because here in pa i could walk into walmart and buy a hunting license and there you go i'm a pennsylvania hunter right then and there i can go kill that buck anywhere in the state i go to pittsburgh i can go to philly my doe license is a pink envelope i fill out a slip i put a check in the mail seven dollars and they mail it back to me with my tag it's very straightforward i just have to pick the management unit and the reason why i asked about the number of management units is we have about 20 here that break up Pennsylvania, but they're very obvious. Mm -hmm. You know, they follow the rivers, they follow interstate 80 cuts right through the middle of Pennsylvania, a lot of that sort of stuff. Um, and so it's pretty easy and there's no, uh, restriction on when you can use that tag. As long as you're following the appropriate season, you can kill that doe in archery season. You can kill that doe in muzzleloader season. There's nothing really restrictive and, and, uh, and issues there. So I guess I want to ask for, you as who's someone who started as an adult, do you feel that the way that that's kind of broken up in your state with the management zones and how this, that works, do you feel that's a challenge or kind of a daunting thing as a new bow hunter in particular? Yeah, I can, I can see how that, how that is. Um, me, even though starting as an adult, I was lucky enough to have some friends that were able to kind of help guide me through and be like, Hey, put in for here, put in for there, you know, just buy this tag or buy that tag. Um, so between that and, and the conversations that I've been able to have with them, it's been pretty straightforward, but the, I think the hardest 
thing is, you know, I've, I've been out in the mountains my entire life, but I don't know where to go. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, you know what, uh, you know, what's, so any U S forest service land I can go on, you know, so just trying to break that down. Right. You know, right. Where I can go where I can't go, um, within those units, um, can be a little bit daunting and, you know, and you know, I'm looking at a map and pulling my hair out because I don't know, you know. Right. No idea where to start. I, and, you know, I don't even, I didn't even know, okay, I got this drainage here and, and this creek, you know, what does all this mean? So I think that's, that's probably one of the hardest parts about starting as an adult is uh, just kind of figuring out where to go, what to do, and what kind of equipment to get. Did you have a, uh, did you have like an understanding of like how to read a topo map, for example? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I knew how to do all that. You know, I'd, I'd been backpacking, you know, all, all over the place and since high school. Um, so I had a good understanding of that. I just didn't know, you know, really what made for good deer habitat, you know, that kind of thing. Right. And the reason why I asked about the topo map is I know that that's a question I get a lot. Like, how the heck do you look at a topo map? Or another thing is, too, here, at least in the Northeast, I can look at, a, a let's say, on X, for example, look at an aerial image, and I can tell from an aerial image if that tree is a maple or an oak. Mm. Right. And so obviously for me, I'm able to key on. But if you ask me, if you put a, you know, if you pin me to a wall and said, how do you do that? I have no idea. I've been looking at, <laughs> I, I've been looking at maps. And I've been looking at aerial images now for over a decade. I have no idea how I know how to do that. I just know how to do that. Right. And I'll say one, what I guess I'll, you know, obviously I don't know California landscape, what you're hunting, but I'll say for the folks that are listening at home, this tip kind of applies anywhere. When you kind of find an elevation in your area, let's say, for example, I'm looking at a Pennsylvania map because we have the Appalachian Mountains. It's a lot of different elevation changes. Usually trees, if you're going to find that break or that edge, they're going to follow a certain topographical line. And when you find a tree that's, let's say, even if you're in the woods and you're actually boots on the ground scouting, and I see that there's this, I'll just pick white oaks because those are a preference here in PA, find a stand of white oaks at, let's say, 1,200 feet, right? I can almost be guaranteed that every other 1,200 foot area within a certain couple hundred yards or half mile is probably also going to have white oaks. And that if I don't find them lower, or don't find them higher, this 1200 foot line is going to be kind of the topographical line that I'm going to want to follow when I'm checking out draws, when I'm checking out stuff. So I might have draws that are steeper and they might look better on a map for pinching and funneling deer, but they're not going to have that food source on them and that they might choose to go one ridge over. That's something that I've always had. Again, I don't know uh, the area that you're hunting in, in terms of like what food sources you guys have. Yeah, and the hard thing about aerial images in California, um, like I mentioned before we were recording was, uh, you know, they don't like to log over here. Um, so it's all super thick and you can't tell what's what, you, you know, you, it's, it's really hard to tell <clears throat> which way the slopes are going. Um, you know, what kind of what the ground's doing, what's, what's going on underneath the trees because they're so thick in there between the you know, the live ones and the dead ones. So that's, that's kind of something you got to overcome. 
and just how to just bushwhack your way just into finding a deer. Away. You know, I was I was out last year and I had my trail cam set up and I had this bear that was coming in and I he always came in the same direction. So I was gonna try to go after him and it's just like I can't walk through this stuff like he does yeah. somehow, you know. Squeezes his fat black rear end through everything. I, right. So <laughs> You know, that's, I mean, it's hard to do, but. Is it, is it all ground hunting what you're predominantly doing or do you find tree stand locations or saddle locations? I do. I do mostly ground hunting. Um, I've never done a tree stand. I know some people that do. I've thought about it. Um, in the, in the case of, of the bear that I was going after last year, I thought that maybe that was the way that I was going to get him. So I'm still tossing that up as a possibility. <laughs> when it comes to, so, you know, you're reading the aerial images and all that sort of stuff. And that is something you're learning. Do you feel though, cause we talked earlier, how long have you been bow hunting now? About four years. Okay. Yeah. I mean, and you're, you're not a moron. You've been looking at maps and stuff right. longer than that. But do you feel that after, you know, taking that map knowledge you had prior of backpacking and being in, and now four years later, do you feel that you're getting better seeing in the woods from not a hiker, biker, backpacker perspective, from more of a hunter's perspective? Like, that's my problem now. Like, I can't go on a hike and enjoy it anymore. I can't go and have a nice, healthy, but like my wife and I just went on our rails to trails here in Pennsylvania. And as we're pedaling along, I'm like, oh, that'd be an interesting spot for a deer to bed. Oh, look, there is a deer bed. You know, like that's, that's how my brain, right. It's ruined. Like I can't enjoy the woods anymore because every place I'm like Southwest wind, that tree would be perfect. Here's a trail crossing. Do you see, do you feel yourself doing that kind of inadvertently more, or is it still kind of like, I have no idea. I do um, to a certain degree. Uh, and, and I think it's more of a, I'm just looking for, I'm just looking for things um, more than, you know, looking for things that would make for a deer to want to be there. You know, I'm just looking for that deer. So I don't know if, if that's a thing or I just want to see a deer. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, if, if deer are there, it would make sense they're going to be there later. Like it, it does, it, it's normally when I see the bucks there in town somewhere. So yeah, well, that's also true. That's also very true. Yeah. That <laughs> happens a lot out here. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of big deer. We actually are very infamous. I'm about 30 minutes away from kind of a gated community and they have two golf uh. courses on the community. And there is a monster that is hanging out on the ninth hole that comes across the road and he beds right next to the green. You can drive right through the middle of this gated community. Oh, he's enormous. And I used to have a buddy that lived up there that worked with me at the same school. And uh, he just, he'd come into school and he'd just, here, look, I saw him today. You know, here he is bedded on his smartphone there. Here he's bedded by the side of the road. So yeah, I, I feel your pain. Um, I, I want to ask this and I want to transition into the gear and deciding those things because that's another hindrance that, that new bow, and heck, even me 17 years in. So I have to ask when it comes to, you know, let's actually say you harvest an animal, you know, you, you, you said you shot the squirrel, uh, you know, and you've grown up in the outdoors, you know, uh, your line of work as a police officer, you've seen everything. You're not probably a very squeamish person, but are you, are you concerned of like, oh yeah, now I have this 150, 175 pound animal that I have to get out of here, that I have to process, that I have to clean, like, 
are you, do you think you are prepared mentally and physically for that huge step and that next step in the process? Yeah, I think so because it's, you know, it's one of those final steps, you know, it, you can see the finish line. So you got that animal down. Now you got, I mean, it, don't get me wrong. It seems like a daunting task to, you know, cause where we usually hunt, there's no dragging them out. You know, you got to quarter them out. You got to pack them out. And I hate hiking. I, I really do. <laughs> um, so the thought of having to take multiple loads sometimes, like, why would I want to do that? But I also yeah. don't want to do one giant heavy load either. You know, so it's just one of those, you're just going to have to suck it up. Just suck it up and deal with it. and Embrace the suck. Embrace the suck. Come hell or high water, you're going to figure it out. Yep. All right. Well, that that's the best answer you could probably do. And I'm glad that you gave that one. I really <laughs> am because that's what, for you know, for some, you know, when I was, when I, I'll never forget when I was 13 years old and I, and I shot my first deer, my granddad was like, you're figuring it out. He was my mentor. You're figuring it out. Here you go. Here's a knife. I'll show you, you know, how to not screw it up and how not to cut yourself, but you're figuring out the rest. Yeah. And of course, where we live in PA, we don't have the the, the cut some guys do they go in super deep and they'll quarter them out but i had the drag after i had spent like an hour cleaning out this animal i'm now dragging it and I, i'll never forget that as a 13 year old you know under my breath saying all sorts of words my parents didn't know about and <laughs> dragging this thing back to the truck going i'm never doing this again <laughs> and then then i'll never forget getting back to the you know we load the we load the it was a, just a white tail doe and we load it into the um into the truck we drive back to the pole barn and we're doing the processing and we finish everything up and we have these little you know freezer wrap paper little white bars of gold and i'm sitting there going like i did this and the sense of accomplishment like this is something that I, it sucked it was zero fun mm -hmm. after the moment i squeezed the trigger after the elation was all done and we get down and i actually walk up that was no fun up until that point <laughs> it was zero fun now I find great enjoyment in it. It's, it's like golf to me, right? I'm still not amazing at it, but it's just cathartic. It's just something I, I do. And so I, I'm glad that you just embrace the suck because at the end of the suck, you're going to be like, yeah, I'm going to go do that again. Mm -hmm. and, and that's just what you're going to do. That's awesome. So let's, let's segue into the, uh, into the gear here because we talked a little bit off air about how you're starting in. And of course, you know, you're a grown up. You can navigate YouTube. You can make it around the internet. You can do all that sort of stuff, but you still, as a person with a house and a job and kids and able to make grown up decisions, you're still looking at all the archer world going, Oh my gosh, this is so overwhelming. Right. So why don't you, why don't you unpack that a little bit in terms of what, like, did you just kind of inundate yourself with too much information or even in the information that you wanted to pull out, was that even still too much? I think so because you know, there's so many different types of broadheads. There's so many different kinds of arrows and what spine should I get? And so I think it's just, I got all this information coming into my head and I just don't know how to sort it out. So I think eventually, and I did the same thing when I, when I got into reloading, um, you know, I had, there was a point that I had everything I needed in my online shopping cart and getting ready to press checkout and I just got so overwhelmed. I was like, nope, delete it all. <laughs> mm. um, 
you know, and then it was like another year or two before I actually did it, you know, after doing a little bit more research and being able to better sort everything out, you know, on what, what my, uh, goals were, you know, what I wanted to accomplish in reloading or in this case, archery, you know, do I need the big top of the line stuff? No. Do I want it? Absolutely. Um, right. <laughs> you know, I was over at a buddy's house the other day and he's got a, a prime synergy that I was wanting to shoot, but he's a lefty and I'm a righty. So wasn't able to do that. Um, anyway, so yeah, I think just over the course of my research, I just came to terms with, you know what, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get one of the, you know, just pick one of the top brands that I keep hearing about and we'll go from there. So, uh, as far as the bow, you know, I got it out of Bass Pro. I, I figured that that one was probably a decent, you know, middle of the line setup and you know, it's, it's done good for me. Right. And that's, that, that is also very important that it has done very well for you because it shoots arrows down range, right? It's nice to be really nice to go shoot your buddy synergy. And those things were like 1100 brand new bare bow, but that diamond still is. And this is something that I, I have a, uh, a good friend of my grandfather's here lives locally. And he's shooting a Hoyt from 2005. It's a 15 year old compound, which is a dinosaur in today's world. And he brought it over and he wanted me to work, do some work on it last, last summer. And he said, do you think I should upgrade? And I said, well, do you shoot this bow just fine? Oh yeah, I shoot it just fine. It's a great shooting bow. Do you think I should upgrade? I said, well, what's the point in upgrading? If your car drives you to work, drive your car. It's paid off. You don't have to, there's nothing, you're, you're fine. And so I guess my question to you then is when you decided like, I'm just going to go get this bow. Was that just like a humongous, like uh, pressure release and just weight off your shoulders of, okay, I finally have the bow. That's step one. Now we can, that's checked off. Let's start looking at other things. Not right away. <laughs> <laughs> because it was one of those, it was one of those like, well, is this really good enough? You know, and now I, I don't really care. Like you said, it, it shoots arrows mostly where I want to put them. Uh, you know, it, it probably shoots better than I do. So I don't, I don't have any complaints about it. So, but then, you know, once you get the bow, what kind of arrows, you know, practice tips are easy. You just pick ones that you like the way they look and that's right. it. Yeah. Um, but as far as, you know, you know, do I start out with gold tips? Do I, you know, so I think, I think I've been pretty, pretty much just sticking to the middle of the road. Um, you know, the, I don't think the East and Axis are, you know, kind of on the same plane as maybe the full metal jackets. Um, I don't know. I mean, No, I like the Axis more. I like the oh, Axis really? more. Yeah. Oh yeah. Love the axis huh. way more. That's good to know. Uh, yeah. Love. Yeah. I shot them for a couple of years. I absolutely love, I'll shoot them over a full metal jacket. Cause all a full metal jacket is, is an axis with an aluminum sleeve on it. So why, well, it's a thinner interior card, but why already make something that's really good heavier? 
I don't know. It's it's overthinking it, in my opinion. Ah. Um, okay, so that's good to know. Um, there you go. See, you're you're building confidence by the minute, right? Hey, thanks for that. Um, so yeah, so then now that I picked my arrows, I got to pick my broadheads, and you know, there's a bajillion of those. I don't know. I think I just kind of looked at at ones that the the reviews were like yeah it flies just like my field points and this and that and so i was like you know i'll i'll give these a shot um which ended up being the nap kill zone um and then i ended up getting a you know they have like the the practice broadhead that right in the package uh, yeah so i threw that thing on and i was actually kind of impressed on you know it 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 flew pretty true to what I was set up for. And then I started reading that, well, for thicker skinned, you know, game, you know, bears, they got the thick hair and blah, 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 blah. You don't really want the mechanicals and this and that. So I'm like, oh, I'll pick up some G5 strikers and, and we'll see. And they don't, they haven't flown quite the same, but it's mostly an up and down versus left to right that I found, but few quick adjustments and and it's been all right right and that's that's way better having an up having a broadhead a fixed blade that planes up and down because that just means it's planing right if it's going left it's going right it's doing god only knows what when it's flying through air but when it's planing just up and down like shooting you know i shoot the magnus stuff and shooting that two blade or four blade it literally will sometimes just take off like zero to 40 It'll be exact with my field points, and then like 41, 42, 43, it just starts lifting up like it, like it's just literally hit an airplane oh, on a runway. That's crazy. And like 50, I know, I don't, I have no logical explanation <laughs> for it. I am not a physicist. I'm an English teacher. It's not my thing, but I've just noticed that. So haven't, and that's why I tell people, people be like, oh, I can't get my fixed blades to fly with my field points. You know, that's like everybody. Okay, well, is it missing left, right? No, it's just missing a little bit higher, a little bit low. Okay, we'll deal with it. Just move your cytoskosh. gauche. It's flying true. Just it's okay. And um, because left and right stuff means it's probably doing some corkscrew in the air. Mm -hmm. and good knows how much energy you're losing. But anyhow, the uh, I want I want to go back to the uh, to the Eastern Axis. So the I because I know because I was in I'm in the industry and I've been in the industry for forever. And I fell into the trap of I shouldn't say the trap. I went into the smaller diameter equals more penetration is that why you were with the axis or was it just like no i got a good deal on them or they weigh they weigh a little bit more than your average arrow i think they're going to hit a little bit harder so on and so forth I, I don't think it had so much to do with the penetration maybe a little bit but i think it was all the things really they're a little bit higher quality than what i was using and i can't remember what i was using um the uh you know they are a little bit thinner so yeah maybe you do got a little bit less friction there as it slips through but i mean they seem to be built like a tank so they are and that's why i like them so much <laughs> they are i never had i never had a problem with an axis unless i did something that would have destroyed any other arrow so i i always had really good really good luck with mine um yeah i just I asked about the Axis because I know when I bought the Axis, I think it was like 2014, maybe 2015, and I was like, I need to get amazing penetration. 
not because I already didn't have really good penetration already with standard diameter arrows, but my brain was like, you needs to be better. You need to bury eight inches in the dirt on the other side instead of four, you know, and it's just stupid. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, I bought him for that. I know it's, it's done. Like it's over. And, uh, so here, spend more money on things you don't need. That's, that's, that's a lot of archery, uh, a lot of the industry, but anyhow, back to the topic at hand, the, the axis, I mean, they performed really well for me, but I, I was in the, I need the smaller diameter arrow, but you were pursuing a lot of different things. You know, they're better straightness than probably the arrow you were using. They're right. a heavier arrow than the arrow you were using. Uh, definitely durability, probably wise, they were, they were better than what you were using if you were using a much, a much cheaper shaft. So that's good. That's, and that's something that I tell a lot of new people when it comes to, you know, cause the arrows, I actually think arrows are worse than the broadheads. Um, because with the arrows, you know, if you just go to Walmart or Dick's or something and pull something out of a box, the spine knob might be right. It might not be cut to the right length for you. It might already have the insert installed and it's, you can't change it. Um, right. Whereas <laughs> with the with the broadhead, at least you kind of know what you're getting into. Um, but with an arrow, there's so many brands and every brand makes different diameters and they make different straightness tolerances of those diameters. And then they put a different decal on it and call it this. And the the money of this, that, and everything. And then, of course, you always have people who are like, well, Easton's the only way to go. No, Gold Tip's the only way to go. And then you turn on the Sportsman's Channel and somebody's being sponsored by Victory. Or, and it's just your head swims with the arrows. Right. So I'm I'm impressed that you literally looked at it and was like, nope, that is what I want for this, 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 this reason. And you went out and you got it, and it's performed well for you. And I, that's why I tell people, just pick something. Just pick with it and go with it. I, I think you you nailed it right there. Um, you know, with the with my other arrows, and I was like, you know, I, I kind of I'm not real happy with the quality of these ones, so I'm I'm I want to upgrade to a better quality arrow. And this is my budget range, and you know, the other arrows, you know, straightness were like five thousandths of an inch or something like this something like that and with these ones they were supposed to have a straightness of like two thousandths of an inch or something like that and so i was like well, it seems to be like an overall better arrow and you know i thought they looked cool on top of that so they fit within my budget they were a better arrow i went with it right and i think that because that you know picking equipment is nowadays inarguably the hardest challenge for new bow hunters. And then of course you have reading the maps and actually getting a, getting an animal in front of you. But I think picking that and just, you knew that I wanted to upgrade a little bit, so on and so forth. And you just went out and did it. Um, because you could sit there and him and haul around for years trying to pick the perfect thing before you even buy it. And you're not going to do it. I, I have, I mean, I've taken a picture. I think I posted on Instagram a while back. I probably have, somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 dozen shafts just laying around my shop that I will never shoot again because I was looking for, I know right I know right <laughs> welcome to being 17 years into this hobby um it sucks more money than my car uh but it's like you know I I, I had to find this heavy hitting aluminum and, and this fatter diameter arrow for 3d and then this skinny one and and now I just find I shoot pretty much one arrow for everything except for indoor shooting and I'm no better or worse than I was when I started. I mean, hopefully I'm better. But that's, I think, I think that's, that's the, the challenge for, for new people is that 
you're not going to turn into Levi Morgan overnight. Pick one and shoot it and enjoy it. Because if you don't, you're just adding your own hurdles uh, to archery and to bow hunting by just him and hauling around and delaying it further and just constantly uncertain if you're making a right choice. I think, I think that's good that you, that you went with that. And then um, I have to ask, uh, being a new guy, when it came to the rest situation, so you shoot a whisker biscuit, you don't shoot a drop away. Was that just, was that a personal, that's never going to fail me, which a whisker biscuit won't unless you shear it off. Or was it a, like a, man, I just don't know. I'm just going to shoot it. I think it was more of the first, uh, yeah. you know, simplicity. I don't have to worry about, you know, much tuning issues with it. Um, you know, it held it where I needed it to. And, you know, I, I know there's big debate on, you know, whisker biscuit pack yardage um you know i think pigman does a you know a video on that i'm never gonna shoot at 100 yards you know um so i think within my comfort range it does what i need it to do and it's not gonna make it's not gonna make that much of a difference you know um yeah if it's not gonna make me not have a pass through at 50 yards that i'd normally would have that's correct and and this is again i want to bring this up as another these challenge new bow hunters is i think the biggest thing is you just get in your own head you got to have this like you watch my videos you watch troy fowler you watch garrett prawl you watch sean's outdoor adventures you watch all these guys and you see us and we're shooting bullet holes with bear shafts we're shooting bullet holes with fletch shafts and they go with their whisker biscuit they go with their even their drop away and they can't do it and they're like, oh, I got to change my rest. Have you, how long have you been shooting? Is it doing what you need it to do? You don't need to go buy a $200 ham ski if your whisker biscuit's doing already what you needed to do, right? And the simplicity of it. Right, right, I know, I know. And if your bristles wear out, you buy the replacement disc. Right. And you're done. Now, are you going to go win Vegas with a whisker biscuit? No, you're not. You're not going to go win Vegas with a whisker biscuit. Yeah. But there's lots of guys that go with ham skis and vapor trails and don't win Lancaster Vegas either. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it, it way more comes down to the archer and your confidence level. And again, this goes back to what we were talking about with the arrows and, and even with buying a budget bow setup. Be confident in what you have. Don't think, oh, I would be better if I did have this or I would tune better or I could have that accuracy. Right. I love that video by Pigman though. That thing's like six, seven years old at yeah. least. And he's just like, bam, 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 bare strings, this thing, that thing, they lighted knocks, that uh, uh, whisker biscuit. And I just love watching Pigman because he's like whisker biscuit. Yeah. He's like deaf in one ear and blind in one eye. Like it's just he is the perfect, he is the epitome of what an outdoor specialist should be. Right. But anyhow. So yeah, so I I'm glad that that you have overcome some of those hurdles because I think a lot of people at home need to hear this from a seasoned veteran in terms of you with these struggles. You've seen them, you've gone through them, you've overcome them, and you're just like, to heck with it. A hater's going to hate, if you will. I've made this decision. I'm going to go with it. So I have one last topic here that I would like to uh, real quick touch on when it comes to new bow hunters and, and get people getting prepared. 
you know, say, you know, you're preparing to shoot your first animal outside of just shooting in the backyard. Do you do any other type of archery locally or at the state level, do you know, shoot with your buddies to continue to practice or is it just kind of all on your own? For me, it's, it's all been on my own. Um, I've looked into, you know, getting into the, the 3d, uh, target shooting. There's, there's a archery shop, you know, up in Fresno that does that. Um, and if nothing else, just, uh, try to get better at my ranging and, you know, kind of shooting on the fly. Um, one thing that I've heard is to get better, don't practice, but shooting competitions. I don't know how true that is, but it makes sense to me. Yeah, uh, it is true. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so, you know, I just, I just don't, haven't had the time for that. Um, um, you know, so right now it's mostly on my own. You know, if I, if I go up to the mountains, you know, I'll, I might take my bow with me or whatever. And um, actually me and the boys went up today and, and went to go scout and put some trail cams up and, um, we took our bows and didn't get to shoot them because I found like the only sharp rock on the mountain and, and popped my tire. So that was fun to deal with. But, uh, um, you know, every once in a while I get up on the, the patio or whatever and kind of shoot down, um, to practice those angles or, you know, or, or whatever. But for the most part, it's just been in the backyard. Um, you know, I might, whenever I can, I'll go out and get it out to longer ranges, but living in town, that's a little tough to do. Yeah. Neighbors don't take too highly to that. And I've done a lot of sketchy things with neighbors. Uh, you know, I've shot, I've shot over roads before. I actually just the other day, I can get to about 40 yards max distance in, in my backyard. And, but I wanted to try at 50 just to make sure my sight tape was on. So I stood in the middle of the road and shot parallel to the house. That was probably wasn't the best thing to do at like nine 30 in the morning. Yeah. I, I, where I live now, I've lived here for a couple of years, but my house before that I had, I had good neighbors, so they didn't complain a bunch, but, and I would shoot out in my front yard and mm. I can shoot on my property at 20 yards. And then at 30 yards, I had a dot on the street. And then at 40 yards was across the street. <laughs> um, so doing shooting at 30 and 40 yards I tried not to do when nobody was around yeah for those listening at home I don't recommend it yeah neither do I <laughs> just throwing that out there but yeah so it's cool it's cool that you um this is you know people get comfortable shooting at 20 yards but you're finding ways to to even if it's possibly illegal to shoot at longer distances, right? And this is something, because we talked earlier, you know, whenever I think of California hunting, I'm thinking of like desert, 70, 80 yard shots with a bow. But we talked earlier, you know, it's really more like Eastern whitetail distances, like that zero to 50, if you're really pushing it, yeah. right? And really my comfort level is like 35. Like I don't really feel comfortable taking a, taking a crack at a whitetail past that. And I imagine with a blacktail or a muley, really you wouldn't feel comfortable taking that shot either right um but it's but it's funny that you you brought up the 
shooting competitions make you better practice doesn't make you better because i i will tell you i would rather have a giant buck standing in front of me at 20 yards once than go through a shoot down and shoot 60 arrows in an hour like i would so much rather it's so painstaking and um the concentration level if you're shooting 3d the the yardage judging like you would talked about oh i am garbage at that absolute garbage and i've been shooting for way longer than I should be for shooting garbage. <laughs> um, you know, and, and here in Pennsylvania, we have the IBO and it's right in my backyard in terms of the shooting and the judging of distance is what I've had to do my entire life. And I'm still terrible at it. Um, so that, that is something that uh, new hunters as a challenge, as a hurdle, don't think of it as one, think of it as something you're just gonna have to grow with because I'm terrible still. And that's really also kind of a reason why I limit my shots to be 30, really 30 yards and in because I can, I can estimate those yardages pretty quick. I can gap shoot those, my pins pretty quick. Uh, it's when we start getting past that, like my, my max distance in IBO is 45 yards. And when they stick a Turkey 3d target or a little, um, Havelina target, uh, target at like 41, 42 yards, that thing looks like it's five miles away and I'll send an arrow over its back in a hurry. Yeah. Well, one thing that I started doing, you know, is, you know, all, all summer long, you know, I'd go out there and I'd shoot however many arrows a day or, you know, whatever. Um, but as, as the season came up, you know, probably for about like the last two to three weeks before season, I'd go out there and I'd just shoot one arrow. Mm. Um, you know, I might do that several times a day, but I just shoot one arrow because, that's the one that counts is that first, that first shot. So I wanted to make sure that that first shot was a good shot. Um, whether that helped or not, I don't know, but in my head it does. So why not? The one arrow practice is severely underrated. Levi Morgan, I think actually made a video about it on Bow Life TV a few years ago. It's just that his dad would make him do that one arrow shoot it, go retrieve it, come back, shoot it, go retrieve it, come back. And he's like, he'd bank me do that at 40, 50 yards. Yeah. Put, put on a lot of miles. Just get and, and I'd do that. I'd go out there and I'd shoot, you know, the one arrow and I'd go back inside for another couple hours, you know, do whatever else, go back out a couple hours later when I had, you know, and I'd go out to 40 yards, shoot the one arrow, um, you know, go back inside and do whatever, you know, on my list that day and a couple hours later, go back out and maybe shoot 30 yards or, you know, whatever it happened to be. So, you know, I, I do that to kind of simulate the pressure of, you know, the one shot, you know, when you got that, that animal there, um, because I know that if I don't make that good shot, then I'm going to be upset at myself for the next couple hours until I can go back out there and do it again. And I don't want to, I don't want to be that way. So, um, you know, I just make sure, you know, do that one shot and try to make it my best. And if it's in that pipe plate, then cool. I'm happy with that. Cause, cause it's the first shot, the cold shot, the count. Yep. It's the only one you get. Yep. It's the only one you get. Well, thank you, Kyle, for that amazing piece of advice. I'm dead nuts serious about that. And, uh, I'm going to wrap up the episode here. Do you have any, outgoing social media for the people to know about or is it all personal uh, i do um you can follow me at uh, at central valley outdoors um 
it's been kind of dormant for a while, but hopefully, you know, it, it usually goes a little dormant during the off season, but try to pick it back up. But uh, yeah, go ahead and give us a follow at, at Central Valley Outdoors and uh, we'll see you in the season. Well, if you definitely shoot something, I need a picture because that's going on the AJA. Oh, that's, that's going up there. Well, folks, I appreciate you joining me and Kyle today here on the podcast. Again, if you want to be part of the podcast, send me an email to AverageJackArchery at gmail.com. Hit me up on Facebook, Instagram, leave a comment on YouTube. Thank you so much for tuning in. Hope you're able to get outside and enjoy the sport of archery. Archery hunting, if you so choose, definitely enjoy God's beautiful creation. And we'll get to see you next time.